Good morning. Welcome to Faith this morning. Beautiful morning today. What comes to your mind when you hear the word reconciliation? Reconciliation. What comes to your mind? Personal relationships? Racial harmony? Political compromise? What about economics? Economics. You know, a bank ledger is an interesting thing. Many of you have never seen a bank ledger or a ledger, but... uh, it, it, it reconciles, you, the, the purpose is to reconcile what has been deposited and what is withdrawn. To, to make sure that, that there is harmony between what has been deposited and what has been withdrawn. To make sure there's agreement between what you have put in the bank and what you take out the bank with the hope that you haven't taken out more than you have put in. Uh, Terry does the books for us and she balances each month to, to make sure that things are going well for us. And, uh, um, she, she uses pen and paper. I know many people do it electronically. She, we, we, she uses she uses pen and paper just to make sure the bank doesn't make any mistakes. And, 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 and way too often, she says, you know, Stan, you made a transaction two weeks ago at a certain place. Do you remember that transaction? I said, I don't remember. <laughs> there was no receipt. Well, I don't remember. Therefore, the bank ledger doesn't reconcile. There's no agreement between what we put in and what we... Reconciliation is about two sides being in harmony with one another. Bringing two parties that are disharmony into harmony. I believe that this relational sense, the the scriptures use it in a relational sense, but it carries over into this economic sense. When whatever is causing disharmony is dealt with, then relational scales are put back in balance, you see. We are harmonious, so, so... the two parties are at peace. And, and in Romans 5, 1 and following, the Apostle Paul said, we were once enemies with God, but now being justified by faith, we have peace with God through, the, through the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, through the cross. We are reconciled. We're no longer enemies. We're now friends with God. We, you know, we spent the last four weeks looking at the book of Ephesians, prayer in our summer, our summer July prayer series on Ephesians. And... Um, Next week, we're going to begin uh, to look at Ephesians chapter 5, uh, the children of light. And uh, so I, we, this year, there's five weeks in, in July. We, I guess when we put the four-part series together, we, hey, there's another week here. So Craig said, what do you want to preach on? And you know me, whenever I got a chance to preach, it's always going to be some Ephesians. So we're going to kind of put a, a bridge between the, the prayer series and next week's series on, on, on the children of light. I just thought we want to look at the book of Ephesians and particularly chapter 2, this very basic, very core chapter, I think, about reconciliation because we need to understand what this, this, this very biblical, very uh, um, Pauline, very biblical, very contemporary understanding of reconciliation. The text is, and we'll leave the whole chapter, so of course not all the details, but chapter 2, 1 to 22 on the, on the, on the screen, you're going to see, you can read along with me as we... Uh, Look at these 22 verses. Let me read as Paul begins. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God... Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him 
and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that, that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in, whom, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. God bless the reading and hearing. Of his word. My title comes from a phrase you, you heard there. He himself is our peace. He himself is our peace. You know, we're all spiritually dead and, 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 and hostile to one another in Adam, but, but you know, we, we, we were once spiritually dead and we were also socially divided, but now we are reconciled in Christ Jesus. We were spiritually dead and we were even socially divided, but now we are reconciled in Christ Jesus. That's what this chapter is all about. And um, just an overview of, of, of the book of Ephesians. Again, it's my favorite book. And, and uh, um, I, I like to, to think of this book, I'm thankful for Watchman Nee, the old commentator who began this kind of a posturing outline of Ephesians. I like to look at it in terms of four sections. Really, two sections. Of course, the first section is about our beliefs and what God has done for us in Christ, and then there's there is what we're to do because of in light of what God has done for us in Christ. But but each of the sections is divided into two into two sections, and and I like what how Washman Me talks about sit, walk, and stand, and, and there's others who have added one other. And here it is. It's the, the first portion is is the word sit. These are postures, postures for the Christian. Sit, and then there's bow. And then there's walk, and then there's stand. Let me break it down for just a minute for you. Sit is, is this fact that in, in, in verse, we're going to see verse 6, he says that we're seated with him in heavenly places. We, what, what, we are seated with Christ. We'll talk about that in a second. And, and bow is, 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 goes to, to Ephesians 3, which, which Craig dealt with a few weeks ago, where, where he bows his knees before the Father. This is the posture of prayer. The believer has, needs to have the posture of prayer. And then starting in verse 4, when he begins to talk about our responsibilities in Christ, walk, walk worthy of the calling that he's given us. 
manner of the word to which you have been called. So he begins to talk about how we walk. And next week, we're going to talk more about that walk, walking in the light. We'll talk about in the series that will begin next week. And then the final, the final part of the four postures is what Craig dealt with last week. Stand. Stand. We stand against the enemy. We, we stand with the armor of God. We stand in spiritual warfare, putting on Christ, putting on the armor. Sit, bow, walk, stand. And then there's a, those are four postures that we take in our Christian lives. And, and I, I don't think it was an accident that Paul has this flow in the book of Ephesians. And so... <clears throat> Today's message is from chapter 2, chapter 2. And we're going to talk about um, the, the, uh, uh, the, the sitting aspect. The, we, we're seated with him, and, what, and, and the, we, 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 sit, we learn, we take in what he's done for us. We understand that, and we must do that before we can apply the things we're going to talk about later in the book of Ephesians. So today, today's message has two simple parts. The first 10 verses is simply, I am reconciled. And, and, and the, the, the verses 11 to 22, we are reconciled. First, I am reconciled. Verses, verses uh, 1 to, to, to 3, Paul talks about the fact that, that, that we were spiritually dead in trespasses and sins. He, he, this is a spiritual death that the scriptures talk about. No, we, we, it doesn't just say that we were weak and frail, not just that we were sick. It's not just that we weren't perfect. It's not just that occasionally we slip up every, every now and then. <laughs> That's not what the New Testament says. Paul, Paul summarizes our spiritual condition in Adam as we were dead spiritually. And there's a danger. There's always a danger in weakening the diagnosis of a doctor. We have to hear that. We have to feel that and understand that, that that's our condition. John Stott writes this in his great commentary. Death, slavery, and condemnation. It's a summary of these three verses. These are the three concepts which Paul brings together in order to portray our lost human condition. Is it too pessimistic? Well, we, we must agree, as he would have done, that this is not the whole truth about mankind. He says nothing here but the image of God in which human beings were originally created and which now, grievously damaged, they retain, although he certainly believes it and speaks of redemption in terms of recreation in God's image. He says nothing about different degrees of human depravity. Although, again, he would have accepted this. For the biblical doctrine of total depravity means neither that all humans are equally depraved nor that nobody is capable of any good, but rather that no part of any human person, mind, emotions, conscience, will, has, re has remained untainted by the fall. Nevertheless, despite this necessary qualification, which affirms the continuing dignity of man on account of the divine image, which, has not altogether, which he has not altogether lost. Paul's diagnosis remains outside of Christ, man is dead because of trespasses and sins condemned under the wrath of God, unquote. John Stott uh, is, is right. The first three verses are bad news about our human fallen condition, aren't they? But then we have in verse 4 the hinge, but... Paul loves to do this. Paul loves to give some bad news, and then he has a but. In Romans 3, he has three chapters of the bad news about the human condition. He says, but now our righteousness from God has come to solve our problem apart from the law. In Galatians 4, he talks about we're in bondage to, slave, to slavery to, to, um, to, to the law. He says, but in the fullness of time, God sent his son. 
he loves to use the, the, the idea of a but there. And here he does it again a couple times in this chapter. But, God, see, the only solution to our situation, it's not us, it's God, and God does it. And so the next few verses, verses 4 to 7, he talks about my life in Christ. I'm baptized in him because of what he has done. I'm united to him by faith. In the end of chapter 1, Paul, Paul reminds us that Jesus, look, look, if you have a Bible, look, look there. Jesus was quickened or made alive from dead. He was raised. He was ascended. And he was seated in the heavenly realms, Father's right hand, to reign as Lord. And, and, and I am in him. <laughs> so watch this. I have been quickened. I have been raised from spiritual death. And I am seated in heavenly realms. At the Father's right hand. That's us by faith. And this is the, the mystical union of Jesus and his people, of Christ and the church. And look at the words that describe God's motivation. Why did God do this? Why did God do this for sinful human beings? Great love, rich in mercy, kindness, grace. So if I am a child of God, I am no longer a child of wrath. I am a beloved child of God by grace through faith. Verses 8 and 9, very famous verses. Many of you memorize these verses. By grace we're saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, that anyone should boast. Meaning, meaning is, is, grace is all that God gives us in salvation. All the blessings, his riches, his free, unmerited gifts that come to us, his mercy, his love. It's also his strength and his enablement, his power that he gives us with the power of the Spirit of God. That's grace as well. In chapter 1, Paul highlighted the, the sovereign grace of God. We looked at that a few weeks ago in the, the, this doxology, the prayer of chapter 1. And here it is again, God's sovereign grace, undeserved for his people. His love, mercy, and kindness. He's lavished that love upon us, he said in the first chapter. And as we appreciate, and as we appropriate these riches, we become all that he wants us to become and all that we want to become. This is your grace, you see, is, is not sought. It's unsought. It's undeserved. It's a totally free gift through simple faith, simply through faith, calling on the name of the Lord as one's only hope for meaning and for purpose and for forgiveness in this life and for the certainty of an ongoing blessing when this life comes to an end. We are saved. We are rescued from the wrath that we deserve through Jesus. Took several weeks of vacation uh, earlier in the month. Many of you asked me, what did you do on your vacation? Well, it was a, more of a staycation. We went away for a family reunion for a few days. But a lot happened on my vacation this year. Uh, we had that reunion. It was a great time uh, with, with the family. My sisters from Texas and Virginia were all there. And um, at, at the end of that, um, this, this, that week was the 10th anniversary of my dad passing away. And it was the first time we'd all been together at the grave site. And we had a very emotional, uh, uh, very precious time there. Um, we, we, ceremony, we sang Amazing Grace together. We, I prayed and and um, a picture there, that's my dad, died in July 2007. That was my mom, and she came up um, for that as we walked her up to the grave site. Um, it's a great time. Uh, we, 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 we could sing Amazing Grace. 
because of the confidence that we have that my dad is with the Lord. We, we just know it. He, he believed in Jesus. My dad was a good, great dad in a lot of ways, but it wasn't perfect, you know. But my dad's not with Jesus because he was a good dad. He's not with Jesus because he was a, a good Baptist, which he was. <laughs> or a good deacon, which he was. Or a good husband, a good dad. He's with Jesus because of faith in Jesus, you see. It's through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, you and I can have confidence that it is well with our soul. And so that song, Amazing Grace, we never grow tired of it. The more we understand what's going on in our own lives, in our own, in our own hearts. By, by grace, through faith in Christ alone. And, and, and you can have, if, you don't, if you've never trusted in Christ, you can have the same confidence that no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, that, that if you trust in Jesus, his work is sufficient for you. Your, my work, yours, will never be sufficient. But his work, perfect for salvation. That Sunday evening, we went to the hospital and saw Daniel's baby, Brielle, <laughs> who was born that, that day. Brielle, uh, Daniel's. And then, then, some of you have already congratulated me because yesterday we had another grandbaby born, ba grandbaby number four. There's Nora. Well, that's not, well, Nora's there. <laughs> that's Adesha and, and Tim. So we, in, the, in, the, in the month of July, we've had uh, two additions, two grandchildren, or, or grand, grand, granddaughters, three and four for Terry and I. It's a picture of there, there we were yesterday. Um, and, and it was interesting. Yesterday, when I, I talked, last night, I talked to my mom to just, you know, to let her know. My mom don't do, she don't do Facebook. She don't do email. She don't do nothing electronically. And I called her. She said, oh, I've already heard. My, my sister from Dallas had talked to her. I was surprised. But so we had a little conversation, and she, and she talked about the month of July, how it's so interesting that in our family, um, a lot happens in July. We've had a lot of babies born in July, and how it, it kind it of, it sort of smooths over the, the, the bitterness of, of her husband dying in July. We talked about that a little bit, and uh, it really is true. And, 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 and thinking about that, I was reminded of, of a song that I, I do often at grave sites. I recite the words of an old hymn by Bill and Gloria Gaither. Some of you don't even know that hymn. It's because he lives. The second verse of that song says, how, how, how great to, to, to see the newborn baby and, and, and to see the, the joy and peace he brings. But greater still is the calm assurance that that child can face uncertain days because he lives. <laughs> he lives, and I can face tomorrow. He lives. All fear is gone. I know who holds my future. Life, no matter what you're going through, is worth the living because he lives. See, the gospel changes your perspective, doesn't it? The gospel changes your perspective, brothers and sisters. And so in verse 10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. There's that word creation. We're talking about creation. We, God is recreating us. The Greek word is poem. We get our word poem from that word. It's, it's his work of art, his masterpiece, some people translate it. This points to our calling, our purpose in life, our, to be sanctified, to be, to be people who are maturing, to, uh, to do what God wants us to do in our lives. 
Let's think about this image of, of a work of art, of a painting, of a, of a sculpture. You know the Old Testament, I think it was Isaiah chapter 64, I believe, where the image of God the Father there being the potter and we're the clay. Look at that image there. He is the potter and we're the clay. He's molding us. He's shaping us. He's chiseling us that we might be what he wants us to be. He's the master designer. He has a design for what he wants each of us to become. Have you thought about that? In Christ Jesus, he has a design. He has a master plan for us. And it's, it's not just some general template, you see. It's a personal blueprint based upon his knowledge of us and the personal knowledge that he had of us even before we were converted. You see, you see what, what does it say? God prepared beforehand. God has a plan for our lives. God is the master designer. We are his masterpiece. Verse 1 of Tennyson is saying, I am reconciled. I am reconciled. Now, now th therefore, if this is true, we're called to a few simple things. One is we're, we're called to rest in that reconciliation. Rest in his love. Re rest. I rest because I no longer need to work for salvation. <laughs> he did the work. It's free. You know, we, we, it's true that I am more sinful than I imagined, but I am more loved than I could ever dream. We, we, we read that. We say that sometimes. It's really true. In one sense, we rest. We sit. We bask. We appreciate. We, we praise what he's done. And, you know, the motivations of our heart will reveal to you whether you're resting or to whether you're anxious. Are you driven by duty, obligation, fear? Or are you driven by love, the love that your Father has for you? See, it, it all comes down to this relationship. I am reconciled. I'm a child of God. I don't have to work to get his favor, to get his love. He has loved me. And I, I, I no longer, I, I am no longer dead in sin, but I have sinful urges, we all do, and, and sinful tendencies that, that still bother us and, and, and cause us to, 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 to have to fight against even ourselves. Sometimes we fail in that fight, don't we? So we walk in repentance. We rest and we repent. We have to repent. I, I must confess my sin, though my sin is already forgiven. Part of the honesty that we have to have in our relationship with God, every good relationship, there's honesty. We have to have honesty with our Father. While we rest and repent, we also serve because we are his workmanship and he, he's doing things in our lives. He's shaping us that we might do works of service. We offer our best service to him. He's lovingly working in, in me to make me what I want to become because that's what he wants me to become. And I'm alive in Jesus Christ and I'm no longer dead. I am no longer in my trespasses and sin. I'm a spirit-filled saint, baptized with power on high. Do you understand that that's who you are? That's what Christ has done for you by faith. See, all of us have trials, and God never promises us that our relationship with him will remove all the trials of life from us. If someone makes that promise to you, they're lying to you. They're not giving you the full deal here. You know, one of the amazing phenomena uh, of, 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 of tropical storms, hurricanes, is the eye of the storm. 
the eye of the storm. You know, the winds are howling in, in, in that circular motion, and it wreaks all kinds of havoc and all kinds of damage. And then there's just, in, right in the, in the center, there's that, the, 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 of a donut kind of, there's just nothing. There's this peace that's there. The wind stops because there's a circular motion. And there's the eye of the storm. The wind dies down. There's a temporary pause. You know, Jesus is the eye of the storms of life for us. That's who he is. Doesn't promise to be no storms, no. <laughs> but promises the peace that we have with God will, will begin to, to impact peace that we experience as we deal with the things of life. Because we were once spiritually dead, but now we are reconciled in Jesus Christ. The peace we have is a person, the Prince of Peace. I'm reconciled to God because of Christ Jesus, the reconciler. He comes to us by faith. He saves us. Now, the other part of the passage, the second portion, is simply because we are reconciled. And so we're united with the saints of God. The member, we're members of the universal body of Christ, the church of Christ. Now, verses 11 and 12, these verses begin with a, with a particular message to the Gentiles, the Gentile believers who, who received this letter from Paul. Now, now, Paul, the Apostle Paul, was a, was, was a Hellenized Jew. He was a Greek Jew from, from Tarsus. He, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, very committed to Judaism. And, and he was converted, and after that, he became the chief apostle to the Gentile world. And so in verses, verse 11, he describes um, the Gentile status before God's salvation came to them. He says they were separated from Christ, alienated from Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Barclay has this quote, the Jew had an, an immense contempt for the Gentile. The Gentiles, said the Jews, were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. They said, God, they said, loves only Israel of all the nations that he made. It was not even lawful to render help to a Gentile mother in her hour of resource need, childbirth. For that would simply be bringing, to bring another Gentile into the world. Until Christ came, the Gentiles were an object of contempt to the Jews, and the barrier between them was absolute. If a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl, or a Jewish girl married a Gentile boy, the funeral of the Jewish boy or girl was carried out. Such contact with a Gentile was the equivalent of death. Incredible hostility. Terry and I watched the movie Free State of Jones uh, a few days ago. It's, it's, we live some of the hostility there was in, in, in the South during the days of, of slavery. But deep hostility here between Jews and Gentiles. But again, verse 13, how does it begin? But, but now, there's Paul, another, another hinge phrase, but now in Christ Jesus. What happens? You've been brought near. How? By the blood. Brought near by the blood. This is a very important picture that Paul has in mind. I want you to look at, at, the, at Herod's temple, the, t the, the temple of Herod. There's a, you see highlight there, the court of the Gentiles. You know, there was access to various, at various levels of access, but the court, the Gentiles couldn't, could go only but so far, you know. There's a court of, uh, of the Holy of Holies, the court of the Jews, there was a court of the women, and the court of the Gentiles, and, and, and the Gentiles could only go but so far. A temple is a place where, where folk go to, to feel God's presence, to sense his presence, uh, to hear God's truth and to offer sacrifices for sins. In particular, the court of the Gentiles was where the nations would be invited to come. 
That's why God had that there in the depiction of the, of the tabernacle, the temple. To taste and see that the Lord is good. There was a, there was a welcome to the nations. God invited God-fearers to, to experience the blessings of the covenant and to even consider converting into Judaism. But if you know the, the Gospels, the people had turned this court of the Gentiles that was made for evangelism to the nations into a place of commercial profit, of greed, of religious superiority. Their attitude was like the attitude of Jonah, the Old Testament prophet. We don't need those other people as part of the repenting, worshiping community. The Jewish historian Josephus mentions an inscription on the Gentile walls, warning the Gentiles, may no foreigner, no foreigner is to go beyond the temple fence and the plaza of the temple zone. Whoever is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his death, which will follow. Hatred, hostility, animosity between Jews and Gentiles was real. You might recall the book of Acts when Paul finally arrives in, in Jerusalem in chapter 21. He's wrongly accused of having one of his disciples, Trophimus the Ephesian, he, he was accused of having him enter into the forbidden portion of the temple because he was not Jewish. That was, that was, he was wrongly accused, didn't do that. But as Paul states also in Galatians chapter 3, there is no, now no Jew, no Gentile. We're all one in Christ Jesus. So he can say in verse 14 of our text, the dividing wall, the, the, the middle wall of partition, of hostility, has been broken down. It's no longer there. It's destroyed by the cross of Christ. Christ has done that. The separation between the Jews and Gentiles is no longer there. He himself is our peace. I am reconciled. We are reconciled. And the, the entire system of, of sacrificial uh, sacrifices, you see, is about Jesus. It's about him. He's our peace. You see, at the temple, people got to get a word from God to offer sacrifice to God, to get a sense of the presence of God, and, and Jesus fulfills all that, you see? He is the word made flesh. He's Emmanuel, God present with us. He's the sacrifice. He's not only is he the priest who offers sacrifice, he's the one, he's the lamb who becomes a sacrifice. Take away the sins of the Jews? No, of the world. And so verses 15 and 16, he says he abolishes the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, making peace. We heard in the scripture reading the passage from Acts 11 of the church of Antioch, a great passage. And if you look at the whole, that whole chapter and understand what's going on, um, th th there was something different happening in Antioch. As, the, as the, the believers were scattering throughout the world and proclaiming the gospel, in Antioch it was clear that this New Testament followers of the way of Jesus Christ, it was not just a Jewish thing. This is what was radical. The various cities that the believers scattered to, the church had a very Jewish flavor, but it seems that in Antioch it was so different that they, it was no longer a denomination or a sect or cult of Judaism. They had to come up with a new phrase for it. What united these people? And so the term Christian was used. It was so probably used in a derogatory way, but, but it stuck. Yeah, yeah, we're Christians. We follow Christ. 
We follow Messiah. There's a new name for a new community that emerged in Antioch. So verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who were far off. And peace to those who were near. Do you hear that? Do you hear that he preached to you who were far off as the Gentiles who were far off from God without hope in the world? And you who were near, the Jewish people. Because guess what? The Jewish people need Jesus too. Paul can say that because he was one before he came to, to Christ. So, so peace that was preached to both Jews and Gentiles. This alienation of, of Judaism, of, of the Jews, is clearly implied there. Now notice also in verse 18, there's a reference to the, to the Trinity. Through him, Jesus the Son, we both, Jews and Gentiles alike, have equal access to the Father through the Spirit. A very Trinitarian verse there by the Apostle Paul. But he's saying that we have access to, to God. Access. Access is a very important thing in our world. How many of you have ever uh, gone on to a, a website or gone on to a uh, gone to your smartphone and, and it asks for a password. And if you don't have a pa the right password, you don't get what? You don't get access, do you? Access is becoming a very, very important thing in our world. And I saw in the USA Today this month something very interesting. Uh, a Wisconsin technology company is offering its employees uh, a microchip implants that can be used to scan into the building and purchase food at work. Whether or not to get a chip is up to the employee to decide. A three, mar three Square Market is a company that provides technology for uh, break room or micro markets. It has 50 employees who plan to have the, the devices implanted. Now the tiny chip, you see how small it is, it's very tiny, which, which, is, which, which uses RFID technology or radio frequency identification, can be implanted between the thumb and the finger, <laughs> the forefinger, within seconds, according to the statement from the company. The company's based in River Falls, Wisconsin, they envisioned the right-sized microchip allowing employees to easily pay for items, access the building and their computers, all with the scan of a hand. Amazing. Just as you go to the grocery store, you scan the, the barcode, and you can access through the scan of the hand. Believer, you have an even greater access. You have access to the Father's throne because of the nail-scarred hand of Jesus. You have access. We have access. Verses 1922, the, the, the last portions of the passage, it says, being built together into a, a dwelling place of God by his spirit, built up together. And so, uh, no longer you need, need to, to, to feel like you're second class is what he's talking about. He's talking about, he's saying, again, he's, he's trying to let the Gentiles know that they, they no longer have to feel like they're second class. That they're equal participants in the body of Christ. And so, verses 19 and 20, he does that. You're no longer strangers and aliens. You're fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus himself being the cornerstone. No longer second class. I was reviewing this week the great speech by Dr. Martin Luther King, summer of 1963, the dream speech. There in that speech, you know the speech, I don't need to remind you of what's there, as he talked about his dream, his vision for what this country could be. And the country wasn't like that. It wasn't the country we see now. We have a long way to go, but, 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 but even gatherings like we have this morning were very, were unusual. And he had a dream of seeing black and white, rich and poor, religious and even irreligious, religious coming together to, to work together. 
Anyway, in, in that speech, as I've looked at the background of that speech, it's been very interesting because uh, they, he was told, you have five minutes to do a speech, to do this speech, like all the others who were there that, that hot August afternoon. And so the night before, he, he rallied his speech writers, his, his inner circle, to say, what are we going to do? He had thought about talking about the dream, but he didn't, he didn't, I don't have time to do that. So he said, I'm going I'm to focus this thing on, on this thing about the debt that America owes African Americans, that this unpaid debt, this check that has bounced this, uh, with uh, insufficient funds. And, that was the, and so the speech that he, but, so he, they gave, the, he decided, I'm not going to talk about the dream. He was up till four in the morning thinking about that speech and decided not, he, the, the word I have a dream are not in the text of the speech. But he gets there, and it was the last speech of the day, and as it went on, a woman named Mahalia Jackson, who's a gospel singer, who had sung a couple songs before him, before he came on, and did, it was a very prominent part of his crusades and his gatherings. She felt that he just needed to go on and talk about the dream. And so, he went off script when she said, Martin, tell him about the dream. And so he did. And the last third of the speech is about the dream and about his dream of what America could be, living up to its promises. And my point is simply this. Martin Luther King gets the, gets the, the, the glory for his speech. And he, it was a great oratory experience. But let's not forget, he had some writers and he had a woman that, that, that shifted the whole thing. You see, often we give too much praise to the one and not to the, to, the, to the group. And even in that speech, we should never underestimate the ability, the impact of a diverse team of people, which that was, that they can to, to, to seize the moment and do that which needs to be done. Notice the words Paul, Paul uses about unity and about identification with fellow citizens, it's with the saints. Not, not with the Jews, but with the saints. The Jews, again, are a different category. Members of the household of God, it's a family, a building, in particular a holy temple, a spiritual temple, with a biblical foundation, with Jesus as a chief cornerstone, growing into a holy temple in the Lord. So it's a process there. The church, the body of Christ, the Jews and Gentiles together become the new temple in our world. So folks should feel, through the church, should feel and experience the presence of the true and living God. Should hear the truth about Jesus, the Son of God, and about themselves and the need for Jesus, and have their sins forgiven by trusting the sacrifice of Jesus. Very briefly, just application. Love and worship. Love. Love each other in the body of Christ, because we are reconciled to one another, not just individually. We are reconciled to one another, and, that this, and, this, and we need to, to, to work on that reconciliation, to maintain that reconciliation that, that he purchased for us. Uh, very particularly, you know, when we have, we have, we have um, potlucks and hospitality events, those are very important. Sit with people that you can have conversations who are different than you, from different backgrounds. Get to know one another in different ways. Have people over your home. That, that happens. Continue with it. Do it more and more. Look for, the, look for those who, who, who seem like they're not connected yet. During the, during the time and service where we meet and greet, look for those who look like they're not connected yet. Be, 
practice hospitality, as Paul says, and as Bill reminds us quite often. In a few weeks, we'll have students to be coming to the area. Some will come here. Reach out. Get out of your comfort zone. Community groups are going to be rolling out in a few weeks. Many, most of the groups will be continuing, but some groups, they'll be changing and shifting. Some groups have are, are, are gotten too big and some are too small. And th- th- as, you, as you think through that, let, let's be alert to not forming holy huddles or cliques. Let, let's just think about those and, and reach out to those who need we to invite into our lives. And the other thing is, is just worshiping. Understanding our witness that God dwells among us is power in worship. Romans chapter 5, 15, verses 5 to 7. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This welcome, this receiving of one another, accepting one another comes in the context of the diversity. Look at the whole chapter 15 of Romans. He's in, he's Pleading and encouraging that there be this unity among Jews and Gentiles. Let's be honest, though. Don't we sometimes get tired of maintaining unity? It's hard, isn't it? It's hard. I like me, and I like people like me. Isn't that the way it works often? The only reason to, to maintain unity and to be committed to reconciliation is because of this passage and things like it, the vision of, uh, in, 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 in Revelation chapter 7. Because it's been done. The work's been done for us at the cross. The dividing wall was broken down, was abolished by the Lord Jesus Christ. And the alienation has ended. And all we're called to do is to stay in that grace and live it out and apply it in our own lives. God has done the work. He wants to do more than we can imagine through the people of God, his church. If you believe that the world needs Jesus, I hope you do, and I challenge you with a question. What kind of Jesus does the world need to hear and see? What kind of Jesus? A Jesus that's bound to a particular culture and ethnicity? Or a Jesus that transcends all cultures and ethnic groups? Jesus of Revelation 7. A world that is hopelessly divided along ethnic and cultural lines needs to hear about and needs to see the hope that Jesus Christ brings. The church is the body of Christ, the physical manifestation of the Lord Jesus Christ. As Craig said a few weeks ago, there's no plan B. We're it. Plan A, God's people. We have a mission vision statement that says that we're celebrating the reconciliation, we're building graceful disciples, and we're serving Penn Lucy, Baltimore, and this world. It begins with the most important thing, celebrating the reconciliation. That's what we do. And I'll just leave you with one simple thought. Jesus Christ died on a cross. He did not die on a pole. You know the difference? pole is merely vertical. A cross is vertical and horizontal. They they put nails in his hands and so his hands were stretched out. And maybe maybe with his stretched out hands there was an invitation to one side saying Jews, I am your Messiah. With the other hand saying Gentiles, non-Jews, I am your Messiah. I am the Messiah of the world. Jesus died on a cross, not a pole. He died for you, but not just for you. He died for a people, his elect, a people from every nation, tongue, and tribe. And that's, the, that's, the, that's our calling. There's, there's a phrase 
in an old Andre Krauss song. Andre Krauss said, uh, Gentile and Jew, that includes me and you. <laughs> we all got to bow down before Jesus. Do you know Jesus? He himself is our peace. Let's pray. So often we, we take the gospel, we, we, we want to make, make it simple, and it is simple, but its implications are profound. I pray that each one of us who has trusted you will know that I have been put right with you, I have peace with you, I am reconciled with you, and that has implications for our relationships with others who are reconciled with you. And Lord, there may be people here today who have never made that commitment with you. They still wrestle with that. I pray they would know the clarity of it, that, it is, that sins can be forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ who died on a cross that we might have life here and forever. But use this word to, 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 to sink into our hearts that we might be your people and serve you. We'll give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Close this on. We do the fourth verse of the last verse of the power of the cross. Let's stand and see this, this verse.